Welcome to the Women's Mentoring Network of Canada, a podcast about ex-cadet women mentoring and building community together. I'm your host, Amanda Calhouse, a graduate of the Royal Military College of Canada, class of 1994 in electrical engineering. So good morning and welcome to the Women's Mentoring Network of Canada podcast. Today I have with me Brigadier General Lise Bourgeois. How are you doing, Lise? I'm doing uh, peachy, Amanda. How are you doing this morning? <laughs> I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's uh, nice to have a weekday off. <laughs> Indeed. So, as we get started this morning, I uh, let let's maybe start by introducing you to our listeners, and uh, you know, tell us a little bit about you know what where you're currently at, and you know wh- what you're about to get started doing. Okay. Well, um, you know, I'm I'm currently a fellow at the Center of International Defense and Policy at Queen's University. And this is a year that I'm doing researches, I'm doing research uh, mostly on the women, peace and security. Uh, and um, this summer I take over as the 48th uh, Commandant of RMC. Congratulations, I, uh, I'm excited for, for that. So, um, I mean, that, that ties really well into, you know, some of the things that, that I've been interested in, in looking at uh, and working on through the podcast, which is really about, um, you know, the military college experience um, for women and, and how maybe that has impacted careers and, and how it might continue to do so. So I'm really excited to talk with you uh, about some of that today. So um, maybe as we start off, though, can you tell us about where you attended military college and uh, and and when? Yeah, well, um, I joined in 87, uh, just out of high school. I went to CMR in Saint-Jean, where I finished in 92 with a business degree. I then proceeded to Moose Jaw after grad for pilot training, then Portage à Prairie, where I got my wings in 94. Uh, I was selected to go seeking, kicking and screaming, and maybe we can talk about it later. Um, spent most of my career on the East Coast with 423 Maritime Helicopter Squadron, sailing the seven seas with the Royal Canadian Navy. Uh, numerous deployments, numerous ships. Uh, this was followed by a tour instructing at 406 Maritime Operational Twi- Training Squadron in 2001. Uh, then I was promoted to major, posted to Ottawa in the Directorate of Air Requirements uh, in 2004, back to Shearwater, this time with the 423 Squadron, and right back at sea as the first female helicopter air detachment. Uh, then I went to Wing Ops for a while until I was picked up for Staff College in Toronto. Uh, following that course, I was promoted to Lieutenant Colonel and selected as the commanding officer of 406 Training Squadron. Right then back again, to Shearwater. <laughs> back to Shearwater. There's a constant in there, you know, Ottawa, <laughs> yes. Shearwater and back. Uh, then it was back to Ottawa, indeed, and this time as the executive assistant to the chief of the air staff for a couple of years. Uh, then by proximity to uh, the big office, you know, there has to be a jammy for working uh, crazy hours. I lucked yeah. out and I ended up in a wonderful tour at the NATO Air Command in Rammstein, Germany. With oh. brand new, yeah, and with brand new Colonel rank on top of that. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Then, of course, it was back to Shearwater for me in 2013 and this time as a wing commander. Uh, 
After the tour at 12 Wing, I was promoted uh, to uh, BGEN and I deployed for seven months as a Joint Task Force Impact Commander uh, based in Kuwait. Upon my return, it was back to Ottawa, and I spent two years at the, as the Director General Operation at the Strategic Joint Staff, and two years as the Director General Operation at the Canadian Joint Operational Command, CJOC, uh, where I was responsible for all of the uh, CAF um, deployments, both domestic and international. So now, like I said, I'm on a well-deserved break, uh, assigned <laughs> as, a, as a CAF fellow with the center uh, CIDP here at Queen's University in Kingston. Awesome. Wow, that's, uh, that's, that's quite a uh, career you've had. How, and what, 30, try, try to do the math, 28 years since grad? <laughs> uh, 92, so yeah, yeah, 28 years, 33, wow. all of it together. All and of it, it together. And it went by like a flash. I I, uh, I do I do remember uh, we we served together for a period of time in Shearwater and uh, in some respects it seems like a lifetime ago and in other ways you know just yesterday so I can imagine uh, your your career has has had some of those moments as well. Yeah, and uh, you know, and it's funny because you know when you look back, and I was trying to look at okay, what would have been the best time, and I can't come up with anything. Like everything I've done has been a blast, has been an adventure. Like I mean, you know, CJOC was fun. SJS people, you know, will curse SJS for the long hours, but I've learned so much. The time in command was so interesting, my time deployed. So I cannot pinpoint, you know, people will say this was the best time of my life. Right. Well, I think all of it has been the best time of my life. So I, I think that it's really the attitude that you come into the job and what you take out of it. But I've had no bad jobs. It's all been very super interesting. That That's really great to hear because I think that is... Um... You know, it is interesting when we look back and, you know, talk about, you know, what has been a highlight of a career, for instance, um, you know, the fact that you can take positives away from all of the different opportunities, I think is is another, you know, a, a, you know, a sign of, you know, a, a positive outlook on, on life as well. Um, maybe what about the, um, so what prompted you to go to military college in the first place? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, as all your, your, your podcasts, everyone has a different story. You know, my family had no money, so there was no money to go to university. I went about to work very, very hard. So I had done like a career aptitude test in secondaire 5. And, you know, the, the first three choices were uh, joining the military. And the counselor said, did you ever think? I'm like, no, I mean, I have no interest. I want to go to university. I want to get a degree. And he's like, well, what about this university? It's called CMR. It's in Saint-Jean. It's free. And of course, when he said the word free, free? it got my attention. <laughs> so I ended up and, uh, you know, we did the, the zoo. You know, when you go and oh. visit as, well, we call them the zoo parade. So I went there and of course, I mean, when you do the visit, it's beautiful. You know, it's super professional. The, the officer cadets are looking so good. The food was good that day anyway. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like the, the, the lifestyle, the pillars, uh, the traveling and everything else. So it was super interesting. So I came back home and I told my parents that I was joining the military. 
And of course, I was only 16, so I needed their signature. So uh, right. dads, you know, ask a few questions because I'm from a non-military family, like we know nothing about it. So dad asked a few questions. And then mom, I didn't know that, but my mom that night said, oh, don't worry, she'll never get accepted. So uh, they signed the paperwork <laughs> and did all the application, went through and, uh, you know, got accepted. And what a shock. What a shock it was for my mom, you know, because yeah. uh, I was the baby of the family and I was the first one to leave. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, and right, because you were 16. Yeah. Well, I, I left that following year. Yeah. So I had just, I joined in, I was still 16, but went to Milk Hall as a 17 year old. But, you know, the first time in my life that I saw my mother cry was the day she dropped me off in Saint Jean. So uh. for me, I was like, oh my God, what have I done? You know, <laughs> but anyway, it worked out for the best. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it's, it is interesting to hear about, um, you know, the different, um, you know, the, how people have sort of come to hear about military college. Do you, do you think that that's different now? Or, you know, is it still the, the same type of situation where, you know, people are coming because they couldn't afford to go to university? Um, do you find more of a mix or, or do you even know? <laughs> well, I think now is, well, it's a lot, there's a lot more publicity. It seems that people know about military college a lot more, but when you look at the, 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 the officer cadet joining, I mean, there's, you know, the people that are attracted to that lifestyle. There's the people again, that probably could not afford or don't want to have debts, you know, because everyone right. can afford to go to university. Now you just have, you know, loans and right. stuff. And there's also a lot of, uh, of course, uh, military uh, children, which I've been raised kind of in, and they understand the military and what military college uh, will will afford. So I think those are the 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 recruits, the new recruits that we're getting right, right now. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's interesting because I, I I do recall there were a few you know family members of of military college graduates when when I attended at RMC, but it certainly didn't seem to be a large percentage. Uh, or maybe yeah, or maybe they were just quiet about it because you know maybe they were. Yeah, <laughs> that that's a possibility too. Yeah, <laughs> because the, the you know the last thing you want to be known for is the the daughter or the son of you know, XX, because then you have, of course, you, you remember yeah. you have that target on, on your back. Yeah, yeah, true. So, um, now you have, you have served for, for 30, 33 years. Um, was there a time when you considered leaving the military? Did you expect to serve your, you know, this long in the, in the forces? Well, and again, you know, I joined because I wanted a degree. I had no idea. Like for me, it was five years. I was going to get a degree and then I was going to quit. So that's why when I showed up at the recruiting center, you know, they said, well, you need a trade. And I'm like, well, I don't want to trade. I just want a degree. And they said, well, no, no, it, it doesn't really work like that. So of course, you know, the typical, well, okay, so what's available? Because right. I had knew nothing. And they said, well, of course, the typical question, what's your favorite color? Uh, uh, blue, uh, black, you know, oh, and the oh green. God, and for I the said, well, uniform. <laughs> yeah, exactly, for the uniform. So I said, well, I'll pick blue. And they said, okay, well, these are the trades that you can go in the blue colored uniform. So my first pick was logistic. Uh, second pick was MP. And then I was really, I didn't know the third pick. And um, on the recruiting 
gentleman said, well, you know, would you like to be a pilot? And I'm like, well, you know, that sounds good for five years because there's no way I'm, I'm just coming in to get a degree and then I'll join the civilian life. I'm like, okay, uh, I'll, I'll put my name as, you know, I'll put pilot as the third choice. And of course, in 87, when I joined, it was the year that they were really opening all the combat arms to women. So they okay. were really trying to recruit as many future pilot as they could because, you know, the selection process is quite difficult. So I got pilot as my trade and uh, and the rest and it is was your third choice yeah it was my third choice <laughs> and uh, and the rest yeah. is history because wow. you know and again going through training i was always a short-term person i'm only doing this until Thinking my black... sort of the next year or exactly two. <laughs> my obligatory service is over then i'm gonna quit so it doesn't really matter what i get it was always right. about living uh today because in five years i was gonna quit so um so when I went through training, I was not nervous. You know, a lot of my, right. uh, the people on my courses, they so wanted to be pilots. Like I'm, I'm, you know, they were puking their guts off. Sorry to be saying that, but be, they were so nervous before right. flights, before check ride. And for me, I was like, yeah, whatever, you know. If I, if I pass, <laughs> I pass. If I don't, I don't. Yeah, it was your career. You, you hadn't set up your career to be riding on this. Exactly. Oh, for, uh, for me, it was always like, you know, and yeah. uh, each day came and every job that I had was awesome. So... I never left. I mean, I yeah. never left. That was truly the story of my life. Uh, the yeah. five year came and I was like, well, this is, I was at 423 and trust me, it was so much fun sailing, deploying yeah. throughout the world. So I was like, no, no, no. And then my 20 year window came. Right. I was just finishing staff college. I had a command tour in front of me. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the best. And I'm like, wow. So there it went 25 years, 30 years. So I don't know, I guess, <laughs> I guess when I stop having fun and they really piss me off is the day I'm going to quit. But so far right. I've been waiting for it and <laughs> it's been, it hasn't happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's been those bad days. Don't, you know, of not course. everything is peachy. Uh, however, overall, you know, it's been a lot more positive than negative. So yes. I'm still here. Yeah. So you alluded earlier to, uh, to, to going Sea Kings kicking and screaming. So, so tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. Well, you know, when I went to Portage, um, we started flying and, and on at the beginning, I didn't really like flying at all. There was too many rules, you know, for me being an open sky, having to fly at 1200 feet, 70 knots, that was crazy. So I was like, come on, blue skies. They're like, no, 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 the rules are the rules. And then I learned that helicopters have a lot less rules. I mean, there's still rules, but they're right. not as bad. So I wanted to go um, uh, army tactical helicopter. That was my dream. Okay. From the get go, I'm like, I'm going to be a helicopter pilot, the freedom of being able to land anywhere, uh, right. you know, and uh, that's what I wanted. Uh, at the end of Portage, when they made the selection, uh, I ended up seeking on the east coast and i was very not impressed like <laughs> i did not and it was just just at the moment where uh chrétien had canceled the new helicopters okay oh, right. so in in 94 so the story yeah. was that you know the seekings were decrepit they were falling apart etc cetera, etc cetera. so i showed up in shearwater and uh not happy i really did <laughs> not want to be there 
at all. And, uh, you know, old machine. And I don't know, for me, it was the end of the world. And then I did the OTU. Uh, the operational training unit, and I, the next day, like I did my final check ride at like 7.30 that night, and on the next day, I was flying on, on Preserver, our oh, wow. resupply ship, because um, it was a mixed gender ship, and there was not that many mixed gender ship, and they needed oh, a pilot, okay. and they needed a female, so I ended up the next day at sea, and I fell in love. I truly yeah. fell in love with going to sea, like the smell, the sunshine, the operation, the freedom of never knowing what we're going to be doing. Like the seeking mm -hmm. was an excellent, excellent aircraft. You know, when you look at it, um, I always go back to, uh, to you know, the Gardbrook song, uh, God's greatest gift are unanswered prayers. Well, mm -hmm. for me, that was my selection to seeking. Uh, it ended up being the best thing that could have happened to me. Uh, the, the plane, I mean, you know, one day we were doing search and rescue. The next day we were doing surface warfare. Uh, the day after we were doing anti-submarine warfare. There were so many roles that we could do. We traveled the world. Um, you know, the, the ship was our uh, landing base. Usually it was where it was supposed to do. There was a few <laughs> opportunities. You know, there was a few times where it was not. But, you know, saw like the first... The first year I was just at the squadron, I think I did like 13 different countries and wow. 23 different ports. Like for a uh, 23 years, you know, year old, yeah. it was awesome. So, and after that, like, you know, again, uh, going through all the steps between Shearwater and Ottawa and all the jobs, the seeking was great. The community was absolutely fabulous. Like, um, the maritime helicopter community is a bit between, you know, we're, we're kind of stuck between, we don't belong to the Navy and right. we feel like we don't always belong to the RCAF, the Royal Canadian Air Force. So we're in yeah. between and that in between, it seems that, that we develop a, a tolerance and the people that are assigned to this community, I, I won't say are misfit, uh, but they're different and they're mm -hmm. accepted. So for, for me as a first female, I fitted right in. Like I could be me, me as a woman, me as the first of so many. They took care of me. It was my family and it allowed both my husband, because I'm a service couple. They really took care. It's a small community. Yeah. And, and they took care of both of us. So both if I you. was sailing, uh, then he was in a wing ops job so that someone could be home to pick up the kids because it's kind of important. The daycare yeah. does closes at six and someone <laughs> has to pick them up. So, you know, they, they enabled our, our careers. And uh, I, I mean, I will be forever grateful for that maritime community, for that, for that care. And, you know, they, they, they did truly care about me and it allowed me to be who I am. So... Yeah, that that's really great to hear. So, uh, you know, that leads me to another question. You know, you were the the first female pilot then on in that uh, in that community, or as a detachment commander. Yeah, well, they they've. I think I was the third female pilot. The okay. first one and two didn't last. Uh, I think they only did one tour, and I was the first one to really complete the first tour and then go back and, and, uh, and, and continue in, in the community. Okay. Um, 
and of course, you know, the, the first female uh, pilot, uh, squadron commander, wing commander, and now I'm, I'm the only general officer. And hopefully there will be a few more uh, joining me uh, soon as pilots. But so far, it's yeah. pretty lonely. Yeah. So. Well, that's what I wanted to talk about. So did you find mentorship from other women or, or was yours mostly from, from men? If you know, and, and how, how did that go in those early days? Uh, yeah, there was no women, uh, yeah. you know, it was all men, but again, like I said, I was lucky and the men that I had, uh, as mentors and at boss, uh, they were really, really good individual, but this is one of the lessons that I've learned. And now that I'm spinning around, cause I think that mentor is super important and uh, giving back um, because I didn't have that. And of course, everyone misses that. Uh, yeah. And I've always taken the time, you know, like we have a Canadian Women in Aviation conference that happens every two years. Mm -hmm. And I've always put it on my calendar as do not miss event because going back there, just socializing with um, civilian and military, it's important so that they can see they can see what's possible, okay? Right. And I've always aided, you know, when you start your career and they say, well, you're a role model, you have to go talk to uh, Women's Day. And I've always looked at it. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not special. I have, <laughs> like, you know, I, I don't have the secret of success. I'm just me, five foot three women, uh, you know, 125 pounds on, on good days. You know, I, I'm so average. But then I realized that, Average is good and seeing right. you, um, that you've been able to accomplish uh, the success, the good and bad, but being able to look and say, hey, if she did it and she's average, I can do it too. And I think that's where I've now accepted the, uh, you know, the role model <laughs> task. Role model although, title. <laughs> although, yeah, although I still twitch when I'm, I'm, you know, they said I'm a role model, but yeah. I think it's important to give back. And, and now I'm mentoring, you know, I, the Athena yeah. program at RMC, I have a third, a third year student and one that just graduated. I'm working with the, uh, the mentoring program with the deputy minister. So I have a civilian and a military and okay. of course on the air force with the Canadian women in aviation that I've always, and I will always uh, continue to attend because it's super important to give back. That's awesome. I, um, I'm, I'm curious about, um, you know, is there advice that you would give to others that are, you know, coming into this, uh, into this space, you know, and, and maybe what's some of the best advice that you received along the way? Well, I think, you know, Women are afraid of failure. Um, we don't take risk, uh, not as well as men. I think it's the way we're raised and the gender roles where women, before we try something, we're going to be good at it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even it, it, it's known that women will not apply for a job unless they, may, they meet 100% of the requirements. As men, we'll take a shot with filling half of them. So... Yeah. In, in my way, like failure is okay. There's nothing wrong with failure. Uh, you give it a try and a lot, you learn a lot from failure. Um, and from there, you get better at it. Like you miss, I think someone said that already, but you miss 100% of the shot you don't try. Very true. So, you know, giving it a try, sometimes you, you, you will be surprised of the success that you're getting because we're a lot better than we think we are. 
Okay. I think that yeah. mentally women are, you know, it's the, the, the syndrome of I'm not good enough or I don't belong in this crowd there. Everyone else is better than me. And it's so wrong. Uh, right. Women are so much brighter, so much more capable than they give themselves credit for. And we have to push ourselves outside of our envelope of comfort. And we have to take chances, accepting that, you know, potentially failure will occur. And right. you know what? We will survive and we will <laughs> carry on. And But we need to give it a try. So true. I think uh, I, I, I've, I've read a number of, of different studies that suggest that uh, we, you learn a lot more from failure than you do from success. And so there, there's something to that as well, right, is, you know, giving yourself the opportunity to, to even potentially fail at something, you know, to, to increase those learnings. Um, I'm, I'm interested in learning a little bit more about what you've been doing this past year, um, uh, with at Queens with the the fellowship. So, what types of things are you studying? Well, I'm I'm studying the um, women, peace, and security. Like I've been the Canadian Armed Forces uh, champion for the women, peace, and security agenda. So, uh, in in my role uh, as the champion, uh, the interest is focused first and foremost on making CAF stronger and more effective in military operation. Um, so my role as a champion is very, very wide, provide leadership advice and to support CAF effort and in institutionalizing diversity as an operational capability and to promote diversity and inclusion as core institutional values. So in, in the last few years, I've spent a lot, most of my um, uh, my attention at CJOC with the operational and with all the op the ops going on, I focus a lot on uh, in, down and in. So how do we uh, integrate a gender perspective in operation? How do we plan, execute with keeping that in mind? How do we deploy like gender advisor in each of our operations so that they can um, keep an eye on the needs and liaise with the commanding officer and the, to make sure that gender perspective is taken seriously. So that's what I did in, in CJOC. Mm -hmm. Now that I'm no longer in the ops field, I really want to work, I really want to work on cultural change. Um, you know, where, uh, so I'm doing uh, research on uh, recruitment, retention, uh, a lot on integration and inclusion. So mm -hmm. I, I think in a way, like I'm trying to change Canadian uh, society in a way um, to try to convince them that CAF is an employer of choice. Um, Sadly, you know, when you look at this, the statistics are telling us that the majority of women do not see themselves in the calf. Uh, right. And we need to change that. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm a normal person. I'm married. I have two children. I did, you know, I was a pilot. I did operation. I had a great career. And, and again, every day I love coming to work. So if I was able to do it, then anyone can do it. So I want to be that example. I want to change the perception that women can't or are not welcome in the CAF because they are, you know. Right. There, there's still work that we need to do. However, women, uh, there's a great place for a career. 
So, so that's a, an interesting one. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, one, one of the things that when I first started talking about the idea of, of having a podcast, um, Kate Armstrong was, was one of the, the first people I talked to about it. And Kate and I were really um, talking about the idea that RMC is an institution, you know, is, is an institution that does grow leaders, right? It, I mean, that is one of the, the things primarily for the Canadian Armed Forces. But if you look back at the history of RMC, it's created leaders for all of Canada. It hasn't just been about for the military. You know, there are people like myself that leave and go on to lead in other places and, you know, other... Um, you know, there have been lots of men that have done that as well. And so I, I'm curious a little bit, and I don't know if, you know, how much you've gotten into this, but, you know, how do you see RMC playing that leadership role for Canadian society? And, or do you? Well, I think, you know, when, when you look at RMC and at the, and also at the Canadian Armed Forces, I think like I, I was mentioning is that, on the integration of women, uh, I mean, I, I think is even as a Canadian society as a whole, we've integrated women, but we've not included uh, inclusiveness, you know, we're, right. we're on the edge. And there's a big difference between integration, you know, integration is just allowing people to be in uh, right. inclusion on the other on the other end, really recognize and embraces the difference uh, so that the people can be valued, that they feel important and that they have equitable opportunities here. And, and it's interesting, you'll probably notice that I said equitable and not yeah. equal because equal is not good enough. Um, right. You know, uh, women and men are not equal. We are not the same. I'm not saying right. that one is better than the other one. That's right. not what I'm saying. Um, we we have our strength. We have our weaknesses. Uh, the answer is that we complement each other, and that we have to be, we have to recognize those differences, and we have to um, play on the strength, and we have to minimize the weaknesses. Right. And I think that. That's the step that I want to move the, the calf is that greater inclusiveness. And it starts with, you know, the leadership that we're creating at RMC, because they're going to be the leaders of exactly. the military and of society. So if we can convince them in the years between what, 18, 19 to 23, that it, this is the way of doing business, this diversity is a strength. And let's make sure that we value and provide opportunities for every everyone, women, minorities, everybody, uh, then, I mean, we're just going to make the world a better place for everyone. I agree. Um, have you, um, I, I'm curious a little bit about, you know, the, um, the percentages of women at RMC and how that's changed over, I mean, it's been 40 years now since, since women were first um, accepted uh, or integrated, I, I suppose, as you might say, into military college. And at, 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 at the beginning, from, from what Kate was telling me, they had sort of a cap at 10%. So, you know, where are we now and, and how does that look to you? 
Well, you know, the CAF objective, uh, you know, by 2026, we're supposed to be at 25.1%. Right now, overall statistics, uh, women in the military is 16.1%. And it's increasing slowly. And the word is slowly. At uh, military college, the objective is 25%. So every year, their objective, and I'm saying objective because that doesn't mean it's right. not a quota. It's an objective. Right. Okay. There's a big difference. Important difference. Important difference because everyone needs to meet the standard. Okay. Yeah. But 25% is the, is what they're looking for. And they're, they're pushing, they're, they're providing as much flexibility as they can. You know, again, when you go to military college, you need to have a trade. So right. there's numbers in the trade, what is opening each year, but they're trying to play with the strategic intake uh, plan to ensure that everyone, every woman that applies to military college get either first, second, or their third third choice so that we maximize the numbers of women each year. Uh, last year, it was 23% uh, of uh, the ROTP that went to CMR and RMC uh, were women. So a okay. little bit short of the 25, but right. it's getting much closer. It's making it's, good progress. It's making good proce progress and it's to prioritize, prioritize women so that we can get there. Um, you know, again, it's not disadvantaging, you know, disadvantaging men, but it's trying to make sure that we get to 25%. That's our right. priority. Wow, that's, I mean, that's a, it is a, a big increase over the, over the 10% that it, it started with. Um, do you know why 25.1? <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a very, uh, it's a very complicated number. Um, yeah. I do, but it would take the rest of the podcast <laughs> for me to explain. But also when you look at, you know, look at it as 25.1, but 25% is really also um, the number for cultural integration like the critical okay. mass. The so the inflection point. <laughs> yeah, the inflection point. So 25.1, there is math behind it, but yeah. it also makes sense from a critical mass and the, the sooner we'll be at that level, the better women will self, you know, will continue to, to do great and, and, and not be a minority anymore. So that's, that's right. key. Yeah. Yeah. Ch changes the entire dynamics of a team. I think it, when you when you get to levels like that well yeah exactly because then you have the leadership you have the women at the big table so they can uh influence the decision and it's 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 more sustainable at that point right. once you reach you know anywhere between 25 and 30 percent so that will be uh that will be a, a good spot to be. I don't know when we're going to get there, but we're <laughs> yeah. going to continue to work very, very, very hard to get there because it's required. So I'm, I, I know uh, this isn't going to broadcast until, uh, you know, announcements are made, but I'm, I'm curious um, what, what interested you about becoming Commandant of RMC? You know, <laughs> why, 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 why was that something you wanted to do? Again, I, uh, dream job of mine. I think that I've had such an interesting career that I think to give back, I owe it to the institution to, to go back there 
and 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 be the role model and I show everyone while well, having a hard time recruiting female in the operational field because they think they can't do it or they think that the work balance you know the work life balance will will uh, be uh, impacted and uh, I think by me going back there showing the example. Uh, I can make a small difference. You know, it's interesting because when General Carignan mm -hmm. went back to CMR, they saw a spike and, and they're calling the, the Carignan effect because okay. they saw a huge impact on female recruitment because of her. Uh, because right. of her being there, she's such an incredible woman and her accomplishment. Um, so hopefully I can follow in her footstep a little bit and, and, make, uh, and make a difference. But I think, you know, RMC, CMR, they're the center of, and it's where everything starts. It's where right. we... As new recruits, that's where you learn what the military is about. And I think that uh, as a woman, as a mother, I can make a difference in, in sustaining that leadership and that inclusion and diversity. So that's that's my goal, uh, to one step better, yeah. one step further. That's awesome. Um, I'm... Uh... In terms of, you know, going back to RMC, are there, do you know, or are there different, um, are there different programs now in place at RMC than, you know, when you and I may have, have gone through the military college system um, in terms of, you know, what leadership looks like? Um, and is that something that, you know, you think has, has stayed relevant with Canadian industry or, or is that something, an opportunity? Well, you know, it's interesting because I have never been at RMC. I mean, I mean, I've right. been at yeah. RMC, but I've never, I mean, I'm a CMR girl for five years. So for me, it's going to be kind of an introduction to RMC culture because, you know, each of the colleges uh, you know, Rhodes was different than CMR, which was different True. than RMC. So it's going to be a learning for me when I arrive to RMC because I bring my perspective of CMR. Uh, so I'm going to have to adjust a tiny little bit. Um, <laughs> but I know that I think they've done great progress on on their leadership, on their inclusiveness. You know, the Athena uh, program is awesome for mentoring. I know they're doing like resilience training also so that, you know, the students uh, can, can, can learn and have a, an environmental, uh, well, an environment, sorry for the French, uh, that is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, uh, that is welcoming and that will push them, but also remain, you know, keep a little bit of security in there also, because it's important for right. the new generation, but resilience and resilience programs have, uh, have been um, really, really um, key at RMC. And of course, you know, the, the four pillars are still there and right. um, which, which is pretty cool for a university with a difference. Yes. <laughs> yes. Excellent. So um, as we as we you know start to start to wrap up here, is there are there is there anything else you you wanted to share with our our listeners? Ah, now you're giving me an opportunity. Um, yeah. You know, again, it goes back to uh, 
hundred percent of the shots that you don't that you don't try. Like have have faith in yourself. Give it a try and go for it. Learn from your failure. Carry on. I think the sense of humor and the humility are such powerful characteristic. You know you. You can survive a lot with keeping a sense of, uh, you know, a sense of humor, um, and and laugh at yourself. Okay, uh, it, it, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we all make mistakes. You know, after time, my English is broken, but I'm okay with that now. And um, and and accept accept who you are and be who you are and not change because you think that people expect something else. I think that's the first mistake that people make is trying to transform into something they are not. Mm-hmm. And we we really need to remain true to ourselves. And the organization, I think we're there that the organization will adapt and adjust and will embrace the difference in people. And uh, and that's my goal with the inclusion so that everyone, you know, we can enjoy the strength of everyone and accept who they are. I think I think that's a that's a great note to finish off on, because I, I really do think that, you know, it brings it full circle right to the notion of a more inclusive environment, whether, you know, that's at the military college, at the CAF in general or, you know, in Canadian society, I think you know, that that's a lofty goal to, uh, for us to aim for. So thank you so much for joining me today, Lise. Uh, it's been great talking to you. Thanks, Amanda. And, and I, again, it's the work that you've been doing in those podcasts has been awesome. So thanks for, for doing this. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today on the Women's Mentoring Network of Canada podcast. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, please reach out to us at wmncanada at gmail.com or on Instagram. Special thanks to our podcast editor, Ethan Kowenka.